Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to a very delayed version of the Finance First podcast brought to you by and for Agents of Fortune. My name is Davis Fascinella, and I will be your host. And today I'm going to be talking about what I really should have been talking about on Friday. However, I decided to take a little personal vacation to do some due diligence and research to figure out just what the heck happened last week. I mean, this this, this really, I will say I've been in the business for about three and a half years now. There's a lot of things that I have not seen that still surprised me, and last week was one of them. I mean, a six and a half percent decline is rare, even by you know the volume and the volatility associated in today's markets. I won't say that it wasn't due, but it was surprising. So, on that note, I'm going to talk a little bit about what caused the markets to go down six and a half percent, why that's important to know. And then how that pertains to you as a retail investor, how do you take advantage of that knowledge to go make yourself some money? So we're going to start plain and simple with just why did the markets go down 6.5% last week. This really revolves around a bigger issue that has been going on for some time that I'm sure many of you have saw in the news or in the, uh, the, uh, you know, on media or, you know, social media, Yahoo Finance, whatever you go to get your news from, is that there was these this rollout of these tariffs that is essentially a 25% import tax on about we'll call it 50 to 60 billion dollars worth of goods from China, okay? Now, what that really signified to Wall Street because most of the noise and most of the clamoring didn't really come from China saying that they were going to retaliate with some very large, you know, tariff that they were going to put on us because we already have a built-in disadvantage. So they couldn't do that. So the, the noise of this whole trade war speculation was really being driven from Wall Street. So needless to say, if you want to look at what area is going to knee-jerk their reaction the highest, look no further than Wall Street because they are about as knee-jerky as it gets when it comes to global macroeconomical issues. So really what we saw take place was that the markets are very correlated to what we call, you know, feel good impressions. Now, a feel good impression would be that I feel good that the taxes that were just, you know, uh, reworked for corporations were lowered from, you know, 35% down to 20%. That made us all feel good because we knew that there was going to be some economic well-being coming from that. What we didn't really see from the tariffs was that that was the first time that people started thinking about all of the things that we get from China. What, what, what really does a 25% import tax mean on things like steel and aluminum, things that build cars, things that build houses? I mean, there's a plethora of things that, per- that this tariff bill pertain to. All right. So, but there's a, I like to, uh, I'm going to borrow a phrase from our president right now because there's something very important in all of this that, that, are, that cannot be overstated and it cannot be overlooked. And it's a little thing called the art of the deal. Now, I want you all to just sit for a second and ponder what you believe to be the definition of the art of the deal. How, if you were to go and you were going to uh, you know, buy a used car or you were going to go do your taxes, would you view that as situations that you want to negotiate the prices? I would 
probably reckon that you're going to do a, a decent amount of uh, negotiating to try to find out where you're going to be best served, where you're going to get the best service, where you're going to get the best product, be it a car or a house or wherever. You want to make sure that you're making good deals. Now, what the United States has failed to do for a, quite a quite a long time, even before, I, I'll go as far to say, back pre George W. days. I mean, we've just been making horrendous deals, one after another after another, while gradually drumming up our multi, you know, 21, I think it is now, trillion dollar debt that doesn't help any of us millennials. I mean, we don't want the debt to go up. That's, that's, I heard the phrase, it mortgages our futures. Now, I wouldn't go as far to say that I feel like I'm personally going to be stepped on by overspending that's done at the government level, but I will admit, I mean, they, they can't just be... Those aren't numbers that can just be casually overlooked. You have to, uh, you know, you have to take that stuff into consideration. So, really, how that goes full circle back to the art of the deal is that there is an art in the deal that is being worked right now. The deal is that we want to make sure that China is not building in inherent disadvantages for the United States to do business in China. Now, an example would be that. Um, on all U.S. imports, now this goes against all goods. I mean, you can look this up if you don't believe me. On all, if not all, the most U.S. consumer imported goods in China, there is at minimum a 12% import tax. Now, if we're taking that same you know, equation and putting it in reverse where the shoe's on the other foot now, in the United States, there's a point two to two and a half to three percent import tax on Chinese goods coming into the United States so at at the very best advantage at the very best uh, trade practices being handled there's a four times inherent disadvantage for the United States to sell products in China to their consumers versus where the Chinese can take the products that they produce at a very, very cheap level, and it's no secret why, when they're only paying their workers, you know, five, six cents an hour, and our workers are trying to get $15 an hour for working at McDonald's and things like that, you know, our our civilizations and our economies and our, you know, consumer uh, concepts are being pushed to very extreme ends that are nowhere close to one another. Now, how that pertains to the stock market is, is that when we want to put down and say, okay, you know, you guys are getting hit with on $60 billion of your of your tr- annual trade, which granted, I mean, we do more, much more than $60 billion of, of trade with China. So that's not really even comparable to the larger number. This is just on the amount that we are imposing tariffs on. It is not even a... It does not dent the U.S. figures in the slightest to have them. What what could they possibly do to make it worse for us than they already do? That's the whole point. Anything better than what we have now is a win because we're already at such a large disadvantage. So, what Trump and what our you know our treasurer uh, I can't God knows I cannot pronounce his name to save my life, but he's the Goldman Sachs guy. What? they have been trying to do is they have been trying to say okay we're going to we're going to make it so that the united states is not going to be the inherent loser in every single trade practice and every single trade you know transaction that we have going on so 
we implemented this tariff bill. It was very heavy-handed. It was meant to be a shock and awe strategy. And what we got from it was a negative six, you know, we got a six and a half percent decline in the markets. That's pretty substantial. I mean, that's that's not, you know, that's not monopoly money we're talking about. That's real money. I read something funny. It was like all the world's billionaires lost about $70 billion in net worth combined had they had lost in that one period, you know, that one week. And I mean, I don't know, I haven't, you know, just as a disclaimer, I haven't validated that. I haven't crunched the numbers, nor do I really want to. But if any of you want to do that, go for it. But the, what that really means to me is, is that, okay, I, as a retail investor, got hit pretty hard. Yeah, so did everyone. I mean, with the markets are down six and a half percent, nobody is not unaffected by that unless your money was 100% out. If your money was 100% out, then that's great. And I and you're poised absolutely wonderfully to go in. But there was not a lot of forewarning that this was going to become an issue until it was an issue. Because frankly, as far as I'm concerned, it's not an issue with me. It's an issue with Wall Street. And it's an issue with how they perceive it's going, their trade is going to be and how their transactions and their equity and their portfolios are going to be hit. And they cause a fear to go through, which is the VIX that I've talked about in the past, which is a fear indicator. You can go back and check the last week. I mean, it was at probably the highest it's been in the entire year. So today, moving forward to today, because that was last week and I needed the weekend to figure out why all that took place. But now we have this week. And today, the treasurer or the you know equivalent to the person that I'm talking about, the Goldman, the Goldman Sachs guy in China, his you know his counterpart had stated today that he is committed, keyword committed, to working out a new trade deal that is more advantageous for the U.S. consumer for trade between the United States and China. Now, this is exactly what we were trying to get to all along. It just took a six and a half decline, six and a half percent decline in the markets to get there. But this is what we were aiming for. This is what we wanted to get China to come to the negotiating table. And we did. It just took some pretty heavy handed measures, but we accomplished what we were trying to accomplish. That is the art of the deal. That's when I go to say, when I say you have to, what does the art of the deal mean to you? Evidently, this is what the art of the deal means to, you know, our economy to, in, in today's sense. We have to be willing to sacrifice on ourselves and be used to taking a little gut check every once in a while if it means that in the long term for people like us, Generation Xers, Millennials, and even, you know, for the early baby boomer that's not exactly, you know, about to retire, you know, we want these things to be worked out now rather than later. I mean, I'm not getting any younger. Neither are any of you. None of us are getting younger. So we want every minute and every hour that we spend buying, purchasing, spending money, we want it to be in our best interest. I mean, there's plenty of times that we spend money that it's not in our best interest. So why can't the time that we spend money be that is that is in our best interest truly be in our best interest at an advantage and not a disadvantage inherently? So what that really means going forward and how you can monetize this and make some money off of this concept is that first things first, we need to take a step back from are ultra aggressive or moderately aggressive, you know, mannerisms. And we need to say, okay, this is where strategic allocations and the amount of money that you are putting in any set, you know, sector, be it, you know, in the energy sector, be it in the tech sector, be it in, you know, 
utilities, uh, you know, hot solar power, hydroelectric. I, I don't care where you guys put it. It could be, it could be in um, in Facebook, which would probably be a dumpster fire for you guys to do at this point. But if you really wanted to, go for it. I'm not going to tell you. I, I I shouldn't tell you what is a good or what is not a good buy. That should be something that you determine for yourself. I'll, I'll always give you my opinion. And by the way, my opinion is that Facebook is a dumpster fire. If you have not dumped it yet, dump it now. Okay, that aside though, I believe that if we take a step back and we say, okay, I'm going to put 20% of my money, and I, this is a, this is one of my own personal adjustments I'm making. I had about 35% of my money earmarked to be moderately to very aggressive. I've scaled that back a little bit now to about 15 to 20%, depending on how I project the week or the next two weeks to be going, because I can trade these very actively. It's not going to cost me a lot in expenses to get out of these in a hurry if I need to. But today, with the exclusion of FCX, um, I mean, the positions that I talked about in my last podcast and the positions that I hold in my account, I think the lowest one that was up today was like a percent and a half. I mean, that's great. If I annualize that, if I get a percent and a half every day for the next week, you know, I'm up 7%. I could sell at the end of the week. I, you know, I'm good. I, I'll be, I'll be, you know, perfectly fine. So what I'm saying is, is that you need to look at things and say, what, what is my ultimate goal? Is my goal to preserve my wealth? Is my goal to grow my wealth is my goal to to um to find a way to save for something like a car or like to pay off your your debt to pay uh to you know pay a mortgage i mean it really depends on what it is you're trying to do now if you don't have a lot of overhead if you don't which overhead means expenses if you don't have a lot of expenses if you don't have a lease if you don't have a mortgage if you don't have things like that you can afford to be very aggressive and as young people with time to make back our money, we should be very aggressive. There's no reason why we shouldn't be. So I'm a huge advocate for people taking an aggressive approach when it counts. But when we get gut checked like we just did on our aggressive approach, we can't just, you know, blindly turn an eye and say, oh, that's going to, uh, that, that'll work itself out. You know, we'll, we'll be okay. Because I can't guarantee that, that that we will be okay. I can't guarantee that it won't go down again next week. But I need to make sure that, the percentage of my money that is very exposed to going down when it goes down is minimized in perspective to the majority of the money that I'm going to be investing being put towards a different purpose. I mean, if my purpose, like I said, is to have some income or to, uh, you know, make a little bit of cash, you know, ends meet on top of my paycheck, then yeah, I can, I can afford to do what it is I'm talking about to have a moderately aggressive portion of your money, 15, 20%, etc., while having the other portion of it be moderate. And when I say moderate, what I mean is is that you want to look at the volatility in these companies. And there's a good way to check this. If you go and look, say, you go and look at the 52-week high of a company. We'll use an example. Um, I'm, and this is, you know, I'll, you guys are going to like this one because you can take this company and you can adopt it for yourself if you if you really like to. I, I recommend this pick. I endorse this pick. Go and look at a company like ST Microelectronics. Now, STM is a, you know, they, they make semiconductors. They're a chip maker. They, they do, they make electronic components that go in cars, go in cell phones, go in a lot of different things. And 
they're part of the Internet of Things bigger picture. Um, I, I, I like this company a lot. I've held this company for about six months now, I'd say, if I had to, if I had to guess. But the point is, is that if you go and look at the 52-week chart, you will see the difference between the high and the low on this company. I mean, you'll see that is your range of volatility. You should be comfortable with this, with the price of this company moving within that 52-week range. And if you're not comfortable with it going lower than its 52-week low or going higher than its 52-week high, then don't invest in it. And I think I'd have to look, depending on where we are right now, I can't check while I'm using my phone to record, but I think if you go and look, you'll see we're probably somewhere in between uh, at the upper end of the 52-week high. But I perceive that, you know, at 23 or $24 a share, you know, this this stock can go up into the 30s. It can go up, you know, way higher to the 40s even. So, because it's on the very early onset of the acceptance phase of the Internet of Things. Now, I talked a little bit last week about the acceptance phase. I mean, this is what, that's the ultimate, you want to be an early adopter. Do you think that the first people who owned Apple, the first people that owned uh, Microsoft, I mean, the people, the, the very early investors in these companies didn't at one time or another think that they were, they could have diverted their money into something more important? I mean, and but really stop and think about this because I you know I'm making this podcast because I want to reach I want to reach a a deeper part of your guys' minds that really provokes thought and the thought that I'm trying to provoke is is that are there things that you're spending your money on right now that you could make into a long-term investment that may or may not make you you know into a multi-millionaire at some point now I'm not saying that this company is going to be the next Apple but I want to I want to put that frame of mind in because we are capable of doing that. Uh, for example, my cousin, um, my cousin, got out of the Navy and had you know he had his uh, his Navy pension. He had some you know he had some cash that he got tax free from because you know you don't get taxed the same way in the Navy and stuff. So he gets out and he invested in Apple very very early. However, something happened where he decided that he wanted to. To take his cash he had a pretty big profit that he wanted to cash out before you know the price went down because he wanted to buy I think it was a, a car stereo or something I, I don't remember this was a while ago obviously but he owned so much of a share in Apple that if he were to sell it today he could buy probably like a thousand car stereos for the same price I mean it's it it is not even funny how much of a value proposition was missed out because he thought that he had this money that could be put to use for this purpose. Okay, and I, I'm, I'm totally 100% for that. But do you think that there's not a larger purpose in life that we can that is further down the horizon than what we can foreseeably see at, you know, 21, you know, to 30 years of age? I mean, I like to think that I, as a 21-year-old, because that's how old I am, I, as a 21-year-old, could not tangibly foresee the needs and the problems and the desires that I will have at age 40. I can't. There's no way. I mean, that's 19 years from now. How am I, how could I possibly know what I'm going to need by then? How could I possibly know what the world is going to need by then? So it's very important to be forward looking so that we as investors, we as, you know, as humans and people that naturally have a thriving desire to evolve and be better each and every day that we wake up, we want to actually try to do that. 
I actually want to try to do that. So I wake up and I read, you know, I'll read a couple verses from, you know, um, the Bible every once in a while just to kind of see. And, I, you know, I'm not a terrifically religious man, but I do like to see what, you know, the good book has to say. I like to see what, you know, what... Um, what the people on the I, I call them the talking heads. You guys will love that one. You guys can adopt that phrase. The talking heads on Bloomberg, on CNBC Money, on Fox Business. I mean, they're, you know, they're wherever you want to find them, they'll be. So I like to listen to their opinions because they're in a different state and they're live. And I want to see what the perception is at a 55-year-old's. You know, what they perceive the world to be versus what I perceive the world to be. I think that you know, there's a lot of upside potential where we're willing to work for it but i also feel like we're one of the most unmotivated generations in so long because i mean at 21 trillion dollars in debt it's not very easy to get motivated to pay all of that off it's like the world's worst you know uh financial debt arrangement ever i mean it's horrible but it's not going to disappear it's not something we can just snap our fingers and say oh it's gone it's something we have to actually address and the sooner we address it the better that our country and our economy and the world will feel because we'll be in a position where we are in the driver's seat, not the debtors, not the people that we owe money to. We want to be in our own driver's seat, which is why I pay with cash. I, I, I have one credit card that I only use to make one payment that I know for a fact I can afford every single month because everyone has to have credit in, that, in today's day and age. And but other than that, I never borrow money. I just, I, there's no point in doing that. Why would I, why, I don't believe in spending money that you do not have. Now, that's a, that's my own personal take and I'm, you know, you guys are more than welcome to take it and, you know, feel however you want. But the important thing is that, okay, let me calm down. There's two very important things that I want to go full, full circle on here. So there's two circles we're going on now. The first thing I want to say is a phrase that I never want you guys to forget, no matter how you know, no matter how many six and a half percent, you know, declines that we have, which is that scared money doesn't make any money. So nobody, nobody ever made a dollar by not investing a dollar, spending a dollar. So you know, it's it, to even go to a more like you know understandable, you know, not that that is understandable. It's like you miss, saying you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. You always got to shoot your shot. You always got to do what is, what is in your best interest to make some money for yourself. Because the more money that you have under your management, the more money that you have in your control, the more power that you have over the decisions that will be that are out of your control. So there will be you know decisions that come. Oh, it's time to buy a house. Do I rent or do I buy? It's time to... Uh, buy a car? Do I lease or do I buy? You know, those are the decisions that we're going to be making. And we need to be able to make educated decisions that are not going to burden us for 10, 15, 20 years. So the second thing that I wanted to say was that from an investor standpoint, I want each and every one of you to go look at your accounts or go look at your, you know, your, your bank statements. So go, go to your bank and ask your bank, how much can you guys make with this amount of money and just use a hypothetical if you have a thousand dollars just use a thousand dollars say how much of my thousand dollars what is your guys's best product there you go i don't i don't care if it's a bank of america wells fargo chase it doesn't matter they all have uh they all have fixed rate 
products that you that they'll show you and even some VA products that they'll show you but the point is is that I want you to go get a feel for what the expectation is of these corporations versus what the expectation of me an individual is and how what I perceive I can help you guys with is so much more than what I perceive they can help you with because my best interest is in you guys succeeding their best interest is for you to keep their money with them that means the bar is set much much higher for me than it is for them because they're shooting for it to be average I'm not shooting to be average I'm shooting to be exceptional I want to be exceptional and I want you guys to be exceptional investors by making and applying the ideas and the conversations that I'm talking about here and soon to be talking about in the future on the crypto side which is going to be very very interesting and I do not want a single one of you guys who are not already knee deep in the crypto game I want every single one of you to be listening to these cryptos that I'm going to do or uh, these cryptos these podcasts that I'm going to do with these crypto specialists that I'm good friends with. I mean, these are people that have made a substantial amount of money in a hurry and in very safe and, you know, understandable ways. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to invent or to invest into a cryptocurrency. Just take someone with a will and and a drive to do it. So that being said, I said this last week, I'm going to say it again this week, probably this Friday, or if not this Friday, I might come out with a special podcast edition that talks almost exclusively about cryptocurrencies and how to get involved in it, what exchanges to use, what are what are we perceived to be the hot coins versus, you know, outside of the core, you know, the big four, the uh, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Litecoin, and God forbid we even mentioned Bitcoin Cash the, the for the trash can that it is. But um, we're going to be talking about all of that stuff plus more that I really want you guys to be tuned in on. Also, um, you know, I really want to uh, try to find ways to reach a larger audience. Uh, I've kind of been exclusively promoting this through, you know, texting it to people and, uh, you know, promoting it on Twitter and stuff. And I still think I'm going to be doing that. Um, I've, I've, a couple of people have said that I should make my own pages for it, like an Instagram, a Facebook. I don't know if that's a good idea or not. So uh, I put the idea out there. If you guys think, uh, you know, if any of you think you're, you know, marketing specialist or any or marketing major or whatever, and you think that that'd be a good idea, please tell me. I, I'm very eager for the feedback. So, uh, this is the Finance First podcast brought to you by and for Agents of Fortune. My name is Davis Fasanella, and I'll be talking to you guys on Friday. Thank you.